All right, here we are again, continuing our series uh, on this little red book called The Red Sea Rules, written by Robert J. Morgan. And I think this is uh, very appropriate for the times we live in concerning the, the crisis, the coronavirus crisis we're going through right now, because these are 10 principles, the rules, that is, are 10 principles to apply when you find yourself in a crisis situation, like our whole country does right now. And so uh, our movie clip today looks at a guy who knows how to persevere through these crises. Uh, no one has many mishaps and setbacks as the guy in this clip, but he always perseveres. Let's look at uh, Inspector Clouseau. Saying, um, you were saying you supposed we were all wondering, wondering why you called us. Look, here. there is no need for you to speak unless I ask you a question. What is your name? I'm Shork, the gardener. What is it you do? I'm the gardener. And why didn't you say that to me in the first place? I did. Look, don't try to be funny with me, monsieur. This is a very serious matter, and everyone in this room is under the suspicions. Room? What? What was that? You said the room. Yes, I know that. And there is a very good chance that someone in this room knows more about the murder than he is telling. Murder? What was that you said? I said murder. What murder? Well, I don't know if you said murder. I said murder? You said murder. No, I said murder because you said murder. I said murder! You said there was someone in this room who knew more about the murder than he's telling. Now listen. What was that in? Shock. The cook. Gardener. Ah, now we are getting somewhere. You. Oh, dear. <laughs> are you all right, Mr. Stutterstaff? Uh, who is this man? He's Mr. Stutterstaff. I see. And what is your job, Mr. Stutterstaff? He's the beekeeper. I'm not asking you. I'm asking Mr. Stuffsucker. What's that? What is he saying to you? What? What, what was that? He, he says he's got a bit of a cold and he's lost his voice. Lost his voice? A beekeeper who has lost his voice? A cook who thinks he's a gardener, and a witness to a murder. Oh, yes, it is obvious to my trained eye that there is much more going on here than meets the ear. Before you are dismissed, Mr. Stiffsticker, I suggest you count your bees. You may find that one of them is missing. You ruined that piano! What is the price of one piano compared to the terrible crime that has been committed here? But that's a priceless Steinway! Not anymore. What is your name? 
Mrs. Lever, Lily. Mrs. Lovelever, I would take a short guess that you are the housekeeper, am I right? I have been with Professor Fassbender for 30 years. That would account for your exaggerated hysteria over a simple blemish on the furniture. Blemish? Whatever has happened to the piano can easily be repaired. What has happened to Professor Fassbender and his daughter is another matter. That my hand is on fire. Inspector Crusoe has been uh, ah. interrogating the staff. Uh, Inspector Crusoe, uh, Superintendent Quinlan. Oh, Inspector. Uh, Superintendent. Okay. Uh, just a little levity to begin our study today. Uh, Let's do a little review of uh, what we've gone through so far on the Red Sea Rules, this, this wonderful little book that we're studying, the 10 principles. And um, you know the story, Israel was camped next to the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army pulled up behind them with 600 iron chariots. That would be a scary sight to see that dust cloud come up with those big wheels with the blades in them and everything. And so the people cried out in despair uh, we're all going to die. Did you bring us here to die? Were there no graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to have this happen to us? So they perceived it as a deadly situation with no way out. You could call it an unsolvable problem. But in Exodus 14, we read that the angel of the Lord went before Israel, guiding them. So God was with them. He led them there on purpose uh, but also, he moved and went behind them this time. So God was not only going to lead them as he'd been doing, but now we see that he's going to sort of envelop them as like a shield. He's also going to protect them. So he's going to be not only in front of them now, but around them and behind them. So the pillar of cloud with the glory of God came between the Egyptians and the camp of Israel to protect them. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to the Egyptians, but it gave light to Israel. God was both their guide and their guard now. They had seen him as a guide leading them out of Egypt, but now they were going to see that he's also their guard. So God was their shepherd and their shield. So let's go back and, and look at the Red Sea Rules, from again, from this Robert J. Morgan book, The Red Sea Rules, uh, The Ten Principles. The first one being realize that God means for you to be exactly where you are. No matter what your situation is, no matter where you find yourself, what your problems are, God is there with you. He knows what's happening, and he is actually going to do something good out of it. As hard as that may be to visualize or understand, that's the, the, the biblical nature of God, that he is going to be with you, and he's going to somehow bring good out of this situation. He's going to guide you through it, and he's going to protect you through it. So naturally, you're thinking, how can you not panic when something like this happens? And uh, when God is with you and you know that he's protecting you, it certainly gives you a different perspective. 
and you realize that God is sovereign and he is in control and he is doing something uh, bigger than we can even understand. The second rule is be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. So instead of thinking about ourselves all the time and, and that selfish attitude that we as people all tend to have, how can I get out of this? How can I protect myself? How can I remain uh, healthy and wealthy? Uh, instead, change your way of thinking to how can God be glorified in this situation? How can my activities and my actions actually bring glory to God in spite of this difficult crisis situation? God's uh, purpose in all these miracles is similar to that. We're given his purpose statement when he did all the miracles that were actually plagues to help uh, Israel leave. He gave a purpose statement throughout the book that the reason he did this plague or this miracle was that so all would know that he is the one true God and so that all would give glory to God where it deserved to be. Third Red Sea rule or third principle is know your enemy, know that you have an adversary, a spiritual adversary, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Of course, Moses and the children of Israel thought that Pharaoh was their big adversary, when in fact, behind the scenes, even behind Pharaoh, is the adversary of God. It's like Ephesians 6 tells us, our struggle is not just against flesh and blood. We think it is. Uh, we see all these antagonists and adversaries and people that seem to be against us or problems that are against us. But the truth is, biblically speaking, that our struggle is really against spiritual forces of darkness as well that are behind all the struggles that are going on in this fallen world. So uh, we keep our focus on Christ instead of the adversary of God, but we're aware that there's something big going on and how important it is for us to look at it from a spiritual outlook and keep our focus on Christ. The fourth principle is pray. Uh, we have a personal God that wants to hear from us. He wants to communicate with us. When God created us, and you can see this in the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, when God created us in his image, he did so to have a relationship with us. Uh, you may have heard that Christi biblical Christianity is not so much a religion as it is a relationship with the living God. And so part of that relationship and building that relationship is prayer, is communication with God. God wants you to communicate with him. And, and nothing makes us go to our knees in prayer quicker than a crisis situation. So prayer is the sound that faith makes. It is our dependence on God audibly. We're going to God because he alone can solve this problem for us and because we need him. So we go to him in prayer. Rule number five is stay calm and give God time to work. Don't panic. Don't give up. Uh, don't sit around in despair. Instead, realize that God is going to do something and, and give him a chance to do it. All through the Bible, we see a tremendous uh, repetition, you might say, of fear not or don't be afraid, uh, different versions of it. But the repetition is there because 
being human, it is in our nature to fear. It's in our nature to get scared and be paralyzed in the face of these crisis situations. I think like something like 200 times in the Bible, we're told to fear not. So obviously, the human uh, beings have a tendency to run ahead of God and do the wrong thing. All you have to do is look at some of the stories like Abraham and Jacob, and they tried to run ahead of God. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a son. Well, they ran ahead of God and brought a concubine in, you know, to lay with Abraham so they could have a child that way instead of waiting on God. Uh, Jacob was told, you'll be the uh, patriarch, but he couldn't wait. So he went in and deceived his brother and his father to steal the birthright instead of waiting for God to give it to him as God had told him. The sixth Red Sea rule is take the next logical step by faith. These problems are so huge, there's no way you can solve them in one day or even a few days. But you can do something. You can do something every day. So take the next logical step by faith. Step out in faith, live by faith, and think of some logical thing you can do today. And as you do something every day, the solution starts to build up and you start to solve this problem. You're living one day at a time in these situations. And uh, Red Sea Rule 7, which we're looking at today, is envision God's enveloping presence. Visualize in your mind that God is with you. We see in uh, the text of uh, the Bible, Exodus chapter 14, we're told that God had been in front of them, leading to them to this place. And so he meant for them to be right there. And they were camped there because God had taken them there. But when the Red, when the Red Sea uh, blocked them and they looked behind them and there's the Egyptian army, as foreboding as it was, God then moved behind them as well and circled around and protected them from the rear. You might say, God has got your back in these situations. And just visualize that. Envision that God's with you and that he's not only there to guide you, but he's there to protect you. He's got your back. The uh, Bible uses all kinds of images for that uh, so that people can visualize. David is a great one with all his images. And he saw God as his refuge and his fortress and his deliverer. Paul calls him his advocate. And um, Isaiah, the prophet, said that he was going to be carried away on the wings of eagles. All these great images of God being with them in these problems really helped them to have the proper spiritual mindset. So in our story in Exodus 14, if you open your Bible and, and read Exodus 14, you'll see that the angel of God reflecting God's glory in the cloud, went before the people of Israel and led them in the wilderness. Uh, Exodus 13 had said that God said, when they said, where are we going? They expected to go in a straight line to the promised land down the coast road because it was the quickest way to get there. There, there was pavement to walk on. There were cities. There was uh, food supply and water. That made all the sense. But God said, no, you follow me. And he took them out in the wilderness, and he said, you follow the cloud 
with the glory of God in it, with my glory in it. And so they followed God's uh, guidance. And when Pharaoh saw that they were out there wandering around, he changed his mind and decided to come after them and bring them back by force back into slavery. But amazingly, the pillar of cloud with God's glory in it went from before them to behind Israel so that it came between the Egyptians uh, and the, and the uh, camp of the Hebrews. God's glory in the cloud, which had given light to Israel, was a cloud of darkness to the Egyptians, but it was a cloud of light to the Israelites. And so uh, he was not only guiding them, but he was also protecting them. And I think you see this throughout the Bible, the same principle. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 63 said, the angel of God's presence saved Israel on that day, and his, his love redeemed them. And this sounds an awful lot like the, the pre-existent Christ. Before we know that, that Christ came into the world, he existed as God in heaven. Uh, but the way the Trinity works by function, God the Father has the plan, the will, and the decree, and God the Son actually physically carries out God's plan. In particular, the plan of redemption for mankind when Christ took on the flesh. So possibly uh, this angel that's spoken of in the book of Exodus is the pre-incarnate Christ coming out uh, in God's glory to protect the Hebrews and giving light to them but darkness to the Egyptians. And I think uh, Jesus is the greatest example of that the Gospel of John says that Jesus is the light who came into a dark world. And so Jesus came in to shine the truth uh, and the light of God uh, for people to understand who God is and what God's program is. Uh, but for the rest of the world who was unbelieving and rejected him, they remained in darkness. So Jesus is also our good shepherd and also our shield. He guides us as a shepherd does the sheep, but he also is our shield behind us. All the biblical authors are great at using these kind of images, uh, similes, metaphors, so that we can envision God's presence in many different ways. Whatever appeals to you and makes you feel like God's with you, it's, it's a good practice and a good exercise. Uh, David, in his psalms that he wrote, Psalm 18, 19, 23, he was great with these images. Uh, he did a great job of uh, uh, really building up in his mind that God was with him. David said in Psalm 18, The Lord is my rock and my fortress. He protects me. He is my refuge. He's my shield. And he's the horn of my salvation. He said, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And then he says to the Lord, Thank you, Lord, you have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand has supported me. And of course, everybody's favorite, Psalm 23, David wrote that God is his shepherd. He is the good shepherd who leads him into all the good things he needs, the green pastures, the still waters, uh, the paths of righteousness. God leads him into all these things, and God restores his soul, meaning that God encourages him and builds him up giving him spiritual life and vitality, even in the darkest of days. No matter how bad things seemed, 
he realized that God was with him and he envisioned God's presence using all these images so that he would not fear the evil that was coming. Uh, and so when his enemies surround him, God was there with David and God felt his presence and David persevered through the trials. And so the Bible authors use this positive visualization that I think would be a good practice for all of us. Uh, as the uh, book says, when you get in a crisis, realize that God's with you. And so we want to use positive visualization. I got that phrase from a uh, golf psychology book. And I uh, think you've probably heard of positive vis visualization in sports. All these sports psychologists use it uh, to teach their pupils. They have a positive attitude. Uh, golf, but I think in all areas of sports, it's valuable. But I play golf, so I happen to be aware of that mostly. And uh, I realize how important it is because I played with guys who go around the golf course with negative images. Guy I used to play with hit it as good as anybody. I should have had a scratch handicap, but he didn't. He had a high handicap because every time he'd come to a hole with trouble on one side, he hit it 90 degrees the other direction. And you'd say, why in the world did you hit that giant duck hook? And he'd say, because there's trouble over here and there's out of bounds on the right. And so he had nothing but negative images. And so sports psychologists would take him and teach him to have positive visualization. And that's what the Bible is calling us to have in the area of realizing that God is with us and getting rid of all the negativity and the anxiety and the stress and fear that's caused by your circumstances. So what could be more productive than that positive visualization of God's presence with you? So bad things are coming. I see them, but I know that God's with me and we're going to make it through this. He may not take me out of it, but he's going to see me through it. As David says, through the valley of death, God is going to take him and he's going to persevere. So David uh, imagine God as his rock, his shield, his refuge, his fortress, his good shepherd. And so the next step is to figure out what do you want to visualize? What works best for you? How, how can you best think of and maybe close your eyes and think of God being with you as a refuge, as a fort, as this glory that surrounded Israel? Make up your own image that works for you. I like the one uh, that, that John gives in Revelation chapter 1, the last book in the Bible, Revelation 1, 12 through 16. God, God gave him a visualization of the glorified Christ, and it's, it's just awesome. I, I go there just to see what the glorified Christ looks like. Everybody says, I want to see Jesus. Well, if you want to see Jesus, just go to Revelation 1, 12 through 16, and you can see Jesus visualized by John as the high priest and the judge who's coming to judge an evil world and, of course, our king and lord, the rule over the kingdom of God. So when we talk about good attitude and getting ready to the negative attitude or a uh, attitude adjustment, consider three Bible stories. Jacob had great fear of his brother Esau in Genesis 32. David had fear of King Saul, who was trying to kill him in 1 Samuel 21. And, of course, Paul had a thorn in the flesh 
and cried out to God day and night in 2 Corinthians 12 to take it away. Go back to Jacob. Jacob ended up wrestling with God and all of his life, really. And, you know, by wrestling, I think it's an image of my will against God's will. My will against God's will. And in this wrestling match of life, Jacob came away with a limp. He had a limp for the rest of his life. And you say, gosh, that's awful. Actually, it just reminded him that God was with him. Remind him of the situation. And so we find that he is completely changed by Genesis 32. And he's a humble man. He had his name changed from Jacob the deceiver to Israel, which meant striving with God. David. David uh, feared, of course, King Saul and his army were coming after him. And uh, he found this visualization by thinking of, of God being a fort that defended him, a refuge for David to hide in, that God was with him. And no matter how Saul, how close Saul got to him, David was protected by God's presence. Paul had the terrible physical pain that I talked about, and he prayed three times for God to relieve it. Lord, please take this away. But God let him know that the pain was actually good because it kept him humble. Paul had a tendency to be proud, like most of us do. And God said, I can't use a proud man in the ministry. I need a humble man. And so this pain, I mean, who, who do you know can be proud, arrogant, when they've got a migraine headache or their lower back goes out or something like that? You know, we're all humble when that happens. And so Paul was kept humble, and he was perfect in that state of being for God's work, God's service that he had for him. So is humility a good thing? Uh, the world says no, promote yourself and be cocky, etc. But uh, theologians, Bible students will tell you God loves the humble. One theologian said, why do you think God gives a dog fleas? What? The answer is to let him know that he's a dog. And at first that sounds so ridiculous, but when you think about it, we have these things that come at us to make us realize we're not in control. We can't solve every problem. We need the living God to help us. We need God's presence with us. We need a relationship with him. And we need to live by faith in him. He's the only one that can answer all of our problems and see th us through all this difficulty. And we're told in many passages like James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. That's awesome. So these tragedies, these crisis situations, these supposedly unsolvable problems really can have a positive effect if they can humble us and bring us closer to the Lord in a closer relationship with him. So do you have fears? Uh, remember what Psalm 139, the psalmist says in the 139th Psalm. He says, God is always with you. Wherever you go, God is there. And God knows everything that's going on. No matter where I go, he's there. Go to the highest mountain, he's there. Lowest desert, he's there. God is always with you. He knows what you're going through. Knows everything about me. And even knows 
what I'm going to say and do. God is behind me as a protector, and he is in front of me as a guide. I can be sure he's there whether I'm coming or going. Nothing makes his presence more known to me than these crisis situations. So as difficult as they are, he is always there, and he's going to use this to increase, to give us a better relationship with him. And you can see that in all the Bible stories. So when the Red Sea blocks me from going forward and the 600 iron chariots of Pharaoh are attacking from the rear, I must turn to the Lord to save me. I must live by faith in him. I must trust him to see me through it. And just as David said in Psalm 46, God is a very present help in time of trouble. God will help you. Remember that God's presence with you not only means your protection, but also in your own life, knowing that God's there should be a deterrent from any sin. Because I know what people typically want to do when they get in a crisis, when they get, is do anything to get out of it. Cut any corner, tell any lie, commit any sin to get out of it. But remember, that's part of the deal. We've got, we've got to stay on the straight path because God is with you and God is watching. And in the Red Sea Rules, Robert Morgan uh, offers four suggestions concerning God's presence being with you, his enveloping presence with you. Number one, affirm God's nearness in your heart. Dwell on it. Visualize it. Be aware of it. Remind yourself all the time. Secondly, visualize God's presence in your mind as David visualized God as his refuge or fortress. So maybe close your eyes every now and then, especially when you start to get really nervous. Close your eyes and visualize God's glory. Visualize God in whatever form you choose. Thirdly, access God's nearness through prayer. Go to prayer. Communicate. God loves that. God wants you to communicate with him. That's part of the relationship that he created you to have. He wants that intimacy with you. That's who you are. You're his creation created to have intimacy and to have relationship with the living God, and prayer is a big part of that. And then number four, fourthly, reflect God's presence in your attitude and activities. In these situations, people are watching you. Your, your children, your family, your friends, they're watching and how you respond and what your witness is in the midst of these situations has an impact on their lives. Be a leader then. Uh, and Paul wrote in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever activity we're involved in, what area of life, know that we're there because God wants us to be there, and we're there to glorify him, not ourselves. We serve him. We represent him. No matter what you're doing, have that attitude that you're doing it for God's glory. So when fear strikes you, close your eyes, and you, using whatever image works for you, remember God's enveloping presence with you. Envision God's presence, and your fears will soon Fade away. Amen? Amen.